Welcome everyone. Today's episode of Marketing Gets Real is fun and insightful, just like our guest. Ari Pfefferman heads up demand generation for Fitbit Solutions, which is now a part of Google. I've had the pleasure of knowing Ari since the early days of her career when she graduated from WashU and did an internship at Host Analytics. Ari has a unique blend of skills. She's a strategic thinker and a problem solver with an analytical mind. She's also a great leader and has a welcoming Midwestern vibe that makes her so lovely to work with. Ari has a great story. Let's listen in as she shares her journey with us. Hello and welcome. We're so excited to have Ari here today. Gosh, we all go way back. Carrie goes way, way back with Ari more than I do, but we're really excited to have you here today, Ari. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Are you saying that I'm older than you, Dana? Is that what you're saying? No, (laughs) no. Just that you guys intersected before we did. Okay. okay. The only reason I know Ari is because of you. So see, that's that's it, you know. Love it. Love it. Love it. (laughs) Great. Well, with that, Ari, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and maybe we can fill in some of these puzzle pieces about how we know you. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, thanks again for having me. Really excited to be here. So I got my start in the marketing world uh, when my father actually owned an aquarium store. And so he asked me to build him a website. So I literally went to Borders, which I don't even think exists anymore. And I bought, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, I went to a bookstore and bought HTML for dummies, read it cover to cover and built him a website. And that's kind of, it's super random, but it just kind of like kicked off my marketing journey. And so I've always- That's totally Ari. That's totally Ari. That sums her up in a nutshell. weird fish stuff. Our last episode had some fishing stuff. True. So we got a, Matt, we got a fish was theme. talking about fish. Yes, yes, that is true. That is true. It is true. And I actually, so I, the reason I, well, I actually graduated from WashU in St. Louis and uh, worked on a, for an internship where I was building websites specifically for host analytics. And that's how I met Carrie. And so Carrie was consulting at the time. And then funny enough with Carrie and Mac, they started a little company called Bluebird Strategies. And so I started working for them and that's how this party got started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a big shout out to Rick Wachowski from Host Analytics. I know he saw you at WashU, saw the talent, brought you in, and gave you some really fun projects to work on, which, of course, you knocked out of the park. So those were fun times, for yes, sure. Thank you. I know. I owe so much to Rick and Carrie. They really got my entire career started. And it was truly where I learned all of the foundational pieces of what it takes to be a quality marketer and a good businesswoman. So I attribute all of that to you. So thank you. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So, so now what, 12 years later, 13 years later, you got a big role. So tell us, I know there were many stops along the way, but now you are head of demand gen for the Fitbit division of Google. So tell us about that. Yeah, exactly. So I think working for Bluebird Strategies as a consultant gave me a lot of the hard skills. I learned a lot about marketing automation tech and demand gen and got to see big companies, small companies. I mean, it really gave you both the breadth and the depth of kind of what I wanted to do. And so after that, I, per Carrie's advice, wanted to go in-house and experience what it's like to be internal. And so from there, I actually worked at Google the first time 
I worked for their, was Google for Work, is now Google Workspace. And at the time, used to be, cloud actually used to roll up into it. And when I was there, two things happened, which was pretty crazy. Sundar, you know, they split out Alphabet and Google when I was there, as well as they split out cloud and their other B2B, you know, this Google workspace. And so it was a really great experience, huge, big company, obviously, and at a huge growth opportunity. So went there, loved it. It was a great experience to have global, running global campaigns all around the world was just fantastic. But it was also tough because we were the only, demand gen didn't exist in Google at all. And so as much as I loved all of that. It was this constant battle of trying to explain to somebody who like built bridges in South America, what a B2B, <laughs> you know, what Marketo was. And so <laughs> I just, you know, I loved working with all these smart, talented individuals, but Google is all about disruption. And it just, it was such this push and pull. So I really wanted to, so after that, I went to a small startup and totally went the opposite route and lived every episode of Silicon Valley, uh, as you can imagine. (laughs) It truly was quite a wild ride. I showed up and I think two weeks in, they laid off half the team and we went through all these sorts of different pivots. And at one point we went as down as far as to the point where It was myself and one other product marketer, and that was it for the entire marketing team. So, you know, we really did a whole, going from this big world where I was working with hundreds of different individuals to one person and I running all of this, like building slide decks to present to Ben Horowitz was just like a wild, a wild juxtaposition. You learned a lot then too, though, I bet, right? I really sharpened your skills. (laughs) Yeah, it totally did. It was great. It was very cool. So I loved that. And I loved um, being so close with engineering and especially, again, being in Silicon Valley, learning how the sausage is made, I think was just such a cool being so close to engineering and product was great. But from there, it just was like, same deal. I missed the global. I missed the, you know, the ability to execute a campaign end to end, as well as I was a senior person who had managed teams before. So it was hard to not have a team. And as well as I was looking for something more mission driven, I think it was the engineering world. And I think like cloud computing software is what is making the world go round. But also, I didn't have a personal connection to it. So So that's when I transitioned to Fitbit. So I'm at Fitbit now, and I've been there for almost five years. And I work specifically on our Fitbit Health Solutions division, which is the B2B arm of Fitbit. So we have a population health solution for employers and payers and providers and partners and deepening within the healthcare space. It's a really cool opportunity. And that's where I'm at right now. So running demand gen for them. I love it. I don't know if a lot of people know Fitbit has this B2B side. I mean, we're lucky enough to work with you and your team there. And I think it's fascinating, right, to see because we all know Fitbit as this consumer device. And then to know there's this this whole B2B world out there that you're heading. Totally. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a great experience. I think it also it's so funny that, of course, now we are Google, but that my first time around at Google was being a B2B job function within a primarily B2C organization. So I've actually really lended a lot of my experience from those days with my current Fitbit role because, yeah, it's great. It's very cool. But what's different is, you know, you've got a CMO who's used to being a B2C marketer running the show. And so learning how to balance 
how to explain what marketing automation is and that it's not a D to C experience that we can't, you know, look at a shopping cart and look at what's the word, you know, what's the phrase like buyer abandonment, but yeah, Yeah. cart abandonment, you know, that's not a metric that we're evaluating. (laughs) Well, and the buyer's journey is just so different too, right? I mean, like we're talking about a much bigger sale takes a lot longer versus I'm going out to buy a Fitbit today because I need like, oh, I'm inspired. It's January. I'm going to go to the gym and get a Fitbit, right? It's just a totally different. Totally, totally. So it's been a wild ride, but it's been amazing, especially, you know, I think health tech right now is so hot and it's great to be at the forefront of it. And now, of course, with Google having the backing of their incredible technology, obviously their um, wallet, and then they put the member first. They're so big about users first. And I just love having that and working for a company that cares so much about how the user experiences their product is just it's wonderful to, to be a part of. It's great. I love that. Great. Well, let's dive into our um, oh shit moments or learnings that we, we've we got, I think, here. Carrie and I just like to say oh shit, I think. Um, so... <laughs> yeah, it's not all butterflies, let's be clear. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I just think it's, I think, you know. I think somebody said fiddlesticks and I'm like, you can say fuck, we don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I've ever used that word in my life. Not in my vocabulary. So we've all seen some crazy things. We've all done some things, made some mistakes and and learned from it. And when we connected about like, what were the key areas we wanted to chat about in this podcast? I think you had brought up some challenges in owning and navigating a lean department with our talented team members. So we've got a lot of talent there, but you know, as we're all running so lean, there's some challenges and learnings that go with it. So why don't we kind of start there and, and see what what we've learned. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think what I did a lot, I've interviewed a lot over my career, just because I think it's great to see, see what other companies are doing, especially since I've spent a lot of years at each of my individual companies, I like to stay hot on it. And it's very funny that every single company in Silicon Valley opens up with Oh, we act like we're a startup. We're, we always we have this lean mentality, and that to me is totally just like an excuse for like you're gonna be lean. You're gonna have to get scrappy, so get ready, buckle up. And you're gonna work a lot, (laughs) even though we have a culture that says we don't. Exactly. And so that, you know, it was no different at Fitbit. They definitely showed up. I also, everybody knows the Fitbit journey where they grew super fast, really, really quick, and then totally crashed. And so I showed up right after the crash. So I was picking up the pieces of, I had a couple of team members who had already been there. I had team members that I had the opportunity to hire, as well as I had some new team members who I didn't have the opportunity to hire who were a part of my team. And so putting that all together and trying to grow a business that has no money because we, the, all of the shiny stars goes to the consumer side, which makes perfect sense. They're the ones that have the wonderful Super Bowl ads that I'm sure you all have seen, which are fantastic. And they help obviously drive the overall Fitbit impression. But what my job is, is creating demand for our B2B side. So explaining to an employer why having a Fitbit would be beneficial for their organization or explaining to a health plan why having a Fitbit within their diabetes prevention program will help them lower healthcare costs for their members over time. So that's what my team is tasked to do. And with that, so you have all these team members who want to do things. And I think the biggest piece was 
that I learned through this was making sure to be super tight with my team regularly. So what I do with my on my one-on-ones is I make sure to spend the second half of our one-on-ones. I mean, it's not a total science. It's not every time like that, but making sure to really understand, tell me about how you're feeling about this work that you're doing. It's, it's almost like a, like a therapy session, right? But um, <laughs> how does like it make ca- you feel? How do right? you feel? <laughs> which, which sounds crazy, but a lot of it was just as well as I think it was the combination of hearing how they were handling their projects and their bandwidth, consistently checking in with them and making sure that the work that they were doing were things that they enjoyed, but then also being able to pivot and ask for forgiveness. So like, I didn't wait around for my manager to say, yeah, it's okay for you to change their workload or waiting for an executive to give me approval to switch something around. So I just, I tried to within my small organization and we're not talking, you know, we're talking five to six people, you know, anywhere between three to six people switching up the workload within their ability so that they can stay happy. Because I think if they stayed happy, it just made it easier for everyone. And they're more willing to get the work done. Right. And it's a balance too, right? Just like having people do the work that they need to do and that you need to deliver from an output perspective and then just making sure that people are happy and enjoying and getting fulfillment from the work that they're doing. It's definitely a balance. Well, it ties into this. I mean, we're all hearing about it and it's kind of like there was a lot of buzzwords when the pandemic first started that were all like, stop saying. And now we're talking about the great resignation all the time, right? And everybody moving around. And I think it's forcing us all as managers, as leaders, as organizations to just think about what makes our teams tick and what's important. And we can say it's all about money, but like your finance, not. It's about, do I enjoy the work I do? Do I feel supported? Do I feel heard? And all of the things you're doing is ticking off those boxes, right? It's like, do you enjoy the work? Is it too much? Is it not enough? Is it challenging? Is it where you want to be? Can we, but also knowing that sometimes we also have to do shit we don't like to do. So what's that balance that we all bring to the table as leaders and managers and so forth? So totally. And it's funny. So now that we're Google and we're going through much more formalized training and stuff like that. Like I was surprised that, so we had to do a formal, this was the first time that I've had to do a really formal manager evaluation in a while. And one of the questions is, have you had a career conversation with your, have you had a career conversation with your direct reports? Have you had that kind of level? And I thought to myself, this is so funny that they have to ask. I was one of the only people who actually have had those conversations. I have them regularly with my team. And I didn't realize that that's so whether or not, and let's be clear, except for one person that I've had on my team, everyone has stayed on my team this entire time. No one's like moved up or down. So it's not like, we're not talking like I'm growing their careers into like they're suddenly VPs of marketing somewhere. But, but the point is they still feel heard because I'm still building and developing them throughout, you know, and that's what they wanted. And so as well as Dana, I think you bring up a really good point about the There are sometimes we have to do things that we don't want to do to get the job done. And so I think as long as you can say, well, let's, you know, negotiate here. If you can do this list upload for me, which I know is a bear, how about, why don't you sit in with me? You know, like, which I'm so, we've all been there. Yeah. Oh my God, database. 
but uh, you know, do this list upload, and then you and I can sit in and we can have a strategic. I can, you can sit with me and let's have a talk about like how do we build this nurture program, or how do we effectively build the budget to make it fit within the guidelines of whatever X, Y, and Z. So, so I guess I can do both of those things for them, or they feel fulfilled and, like you said, balanced. I think that's been helpful. I think you hit on the really important topic of being heard. And Dana and I talk about that. And you're you're seeing as we're talking about this great resignation, if employees are feeling heard and that they're understood and that there's a plan, they might be willing to stick around as opposed to just saying, you don't give a shit about me, I'm out of here, right? Which kudos to you to say that you've got a good team intact is, I mean, I guess maybe the bar is set very low these days, but it's pretty awesome. I mean, it, yeah, you're, you're not kidding. It is, it is really wild. When people, when I say to people that I've been at Fitbit for almost five years, they're like, what? That's a lifetime, you know, which is wild. But yeah, I think also what it comes down to too, is like at the end of the day, what I pride myself in and as a demand generation marketer is I always want to make sure that everybody on the team knows that like outside of demand gen that knows that we're producing and that we're doing work. And so as long as they know, and they like, it's so easy as marketers to like bury yourself behind the scenes and just do a bunch of, you know, changing ad copy and things like that, that no one really sees. And if you never expose that to the greater team, they don't realize that, you're working on stuff. So as long as I've proven that, and so with all of that balance and making sure everyone's happy, at the end of the day, the reason why I do that is to make sure that the greater team knows that my team is present and that they are getting stuff done. Marketing for marketing, right? Right. Yeah. sad. We have to market ourselves and prove our value. And uh, I thought some of those days were gone, but yeah. hopefully it's Well, I better. do that at home too, right? You know, <laughs> wow, look at how nicely these socks are washed and how pretty this underwear is. Look at how beautiful this dinner Thank is plated. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, look at my son is in clean clothes today. Yay. <laughs> That is hilarious. So that's probably a good segue into the thing that we had talked about earlier, Ari, around my personal opinion is, is being the head of demand gen is a really tough job, right? For all the reasons and and you got to stay on top of, of what's happening. You got to be a good partner to your sales team. You've got to be a little math oriented, which it's been made clear that that that's one of my deficits, but I try. So a lot of pressure in kind of being the head of demand gen or, or, you know, being responsible for numbers on the marketing side. So I know one of the things that you talked about was kind of that managing up and managing expectations as something that you learned along the way and maybe made some mistakes along the way. So let's talk about that. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about the pressure that you feel now or don't feel now and how that may have changed during your journey. Yeah, definitely. I think, and by no means, I've learned some things, but I definitely feel like there's a lot more to go. And I I can safely and confidently say I'm not junior in my career. I have enough war stories under, under my vest of demand gen type things. But that being said, I still think there's so much to learn. And even with each year, I actually try to look back on the year and say, okay, what did I take away from this year? Although maybe it wasn't, <laughs> maybe it wasn't the thing that I had hoped for. At least there's got to be some sort of learning from this all. And for us, you know, we're in, because we've been going through this acquisition, it's very 
honestly a difficult time because there's not like massive innovation that's happening right now. We can't, you know, launch some life-changing experience while we're transitioning emails and like uh, transitioning contract tools and things like that. So as through this integration, although I haven't, you know, blown out the water from my demand gen campaigns brought in this amount of revenue, like that is unfortunately not where we're at these days. What I feel like, and I'm so glad that Carrie brought this up, is just how do you still make sure to have a seat at the table and that you're having these conversations so that when the time comes, when you are able to, you know, when my top executive says to me, all right, we need to exhibit X, Y, and Z in growth. What are you going to do as a demand gen leader to make that happen? Tell me how much money you need and tell me what you're going to do. And so what, because we're not there right now, what I'm trying to do is kind of this idea of managing up. So spending a lot of time, I spend a lot of time really asking the questions, having, it's not coffee, right? It's virtual coffee because we're all home, but making sure that I'm meeting one-on-one with all of the different executive teams, even if I don't have a specific project with them, but understanding what their pain points are and what they're looking to accomplish in order to pass that off to my team because we don't have a ton of direction. Our job right now is just to keep the lights on. So that makes it hard when you're trying to manage a bunch of creative marketers who... (laughs) who want to do really cool campaigns. And I'm like, well, I don't have a lot of money and I don't have a lot of ideas. The the crawl, walk, run mantra only goes so far, right? Because they're ready to bust out. Yes, totally. So I think that's just like what I've learned. And I think what I'm trying to still learn or trying to figure out is how do I make sure that when conversations, when strategic conversations are being had, that demand generation is at the forefront of saying, okay, we're thinking about launching a product. I want to make sure that a new product or whatever, that I want to make sure that demand gen is still considered, as well as that the executives are taking the time when they're doing their evaluation to say, okay, we put in a million dollars. What did they do with that a million dollars? You know, and I'm just making that number up. But And that's the piece that I'm still, you know, not sure of because, and hearing Dana, I'd love to hear from you in terms of what you're hearing across the board, but my team is still like stuck on the basic funnel metrics from the early 2000s of like, you bring in a net new lead and then it converts and then it turns to an SQL and then, and so, but that's not, we know how life is now. So how do you kind of keep your executives running with the innovation that is demand generation and all that we've learned over these years. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one, right? <laughs> it's a tough one. Yeah. We're all like, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's definitely a challenge that our clients face, right? And especially when we get into talking about tactics related to account-based marketing and where you have, it's not as easy to say demand generation generated this lead, right? Where it's a kind of an all-in approach and you've got the sales team, maybe the the success team, you know, everybody's working to engage with individuals within this account. That's where it becomes very murky. And then ownership of, of the revenue becomes very murky. And I think that The clients that we see that are successful doing that are really close with their sales leaders, right? And the sales, the sales and marketing teams and are comped based on the engagement of of these individuals within target accounts. I think also the example that you showed doesn't really 
aligned to the retain and grow strategy that a lot of companies are implementing and, and the recollection or the realization that we really have to reduce churn for SaaS companies specifically, but we have to keep our clients happy or our customers happy and grow those relationships. That isn't reflected in a lead or an MQL, right? That's a completely different metric and a way to look at it. So yeah, it is a challenge. And I feel not talked about lately. I mean, I feel like, I don't know, maybe two years ago, customer marketing was such a buzzword and we were chatting about it. And and I don't know what, if it's COVID or what it is, but over the last few years, I just feel like some of the emphasis on that has gone away. And yet that's everybody's low-hanging fruit, right? And And requires a marketing strategy of its own. And I think it's overlooked. I don't know why. It's interesting to me. So, Well, I always talk about how sociologists will look back at this particular couple of years of time. And I think there's going to be a lot of findings of why things happened the way that they did during the pandemic. But it is true. You don't hear about it. Although I was on a client meeting the other day and they said 50% of their revenue goal is going to be from customers this year. And it's, it's wow. you know, so it's like, that's wow, big. that's that's a big nut. Yeah, that's a big not. Yeah. And we've got a unique, I don't know. So definitely something that I saw, which was wild. So as part of demand and we own our physical events. And so of course in 2020, March, everything died. And so we had to transition and pivot really quickly to webinars, which thankfully shout out to on 24, man, they are <laughs> wonderful. <Yeah. laughs> and thankfully we had them. So it was a super easy pivot to webinar based as well as all the events went virtual. So then suddenly we had this influx of like thousands of leads because talk about low hanging fruit. It was like anyone and anyone could sign up for a virtual event and everybody was looking for that like emotional connection to somebody. So we had so many attendees at everything that we did, but then it was like filtering out, okay, who were the actual quality leads? So that was kind of a pain point or, or, you know, a hump in this COVID journey that we experienced. And then now what we're seeing is the webinar fatigue, which is nobody wants to get on. No one wants to talk to you virtually. They only want to do it in person. So like for this year, my strategy is going to be trying to lean into smaller, intimate, in-person experiences that could maybe be outdoors or something like that. And, you know, who knows if that'll work or not, but it's wild the the differences in those types of things. But I think what I've leaned on overall and what I keep trying to drive home to my executive team is that it takes, what's the stat? It takes 10 touches before somebody yes. acknowledges. And that was before the are. pandemic. I don't yeah. know if it's changed at all, but it was, it was like, and changes obviously on titles. Some are harder to get than others and it require yeah. more, but yeah. And so that's what I'm trying to use as my like Let's try and see, let's actually measure this year and see if on an account, if a top lead gets actually receives 10 touches and if they convert with us. And that's like, it feels so low minor, but like MQLs mean nothing to my team right now. So like, I'd rather try that versus this. And it's, I don't know, it's, who knows what's going to come of it, but it's wild to watch everything evolve through this time while, while personally everyone's going through their own thing. Yeah. We're all feeling it, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> put on a smile, put on your big girl pants and you just go for it. But underneath, you know, it's the duck paddling under totally. the water. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's funny. I was talking with someone this week and they were like, you know, wine tasting virtual. I'm like, we're done. People want to drink wine with their friends and their family. Like nobody wants to log in. And I, I mean, like if someone invited me to after all or like, you know, anything late in the afternoon, I'd be like, yeah, I'm good. 
Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. But I think it's important for everyone to keep talking about it because I think yeah. it's so easy for us to all think that we're going through this all by ourselves, as well as if anyone thinks it's not affecting our work, like they're kidding themselves. Yes. Right. So I think Absolutely. the more that you can like keep acknowledging it and saying like, Hey, we're all, this is the first time in a long time in our lifetimes that we've all had a global experience happening at the same time together. Yeah. And I think you're right. The pain is real across everyone. We're all like, you know, I mean, I've had five conversations this week about what can we do with no live events still, at least for the first few months out of the year. And then nobody wants to sit in a webinar. Right. And, and I think like Carrie and I keep coming back to it's authentic content. So whatever that looks like for you and how it translates into demand gen is people are still leaning in to anything that feels very authentic and feels supported, which, you know, we're not great at in the B2B world, right? That's yeah. what B2C totally. shines at, you know, which I'm sure they're doing a great job on the Fitbit B2C side, you know, and their content and how this, all of it was real world. So whenever we can feel that connection. And so I think B2B has some learnings from that, you know, for sure, as we go into this year. Oh, absolutely. And I think like, for instance, even this podcast, like podcasting, I feel like has gotten so hot because everybody wants to take their breaks and they want to listen to something. And I think that's a perfect way to disconnect. So if anyone's listening, they're already on the right <laughs> route. But on the B2B side, it's not as... I'm so glad you, you both are doing this because this is... Uh, yeah, there needs to be more B2B podcast content, yeah, I think. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think it's going to be more and more, or we hope so. So we'll be happy to do one for you guys, Ari. There yeah. we go. <laughs> I love it. I know. We've tried a few times. Actually, Fitbit had a podcast, the okay. super side, for a hot second, and yeah. that went away. Well, it definitely <laughs> takes a commitment to keep it going, that's for sure. So so let's talk about... I have a funny Ari story. Do you mind if I share my funny Ari story? I'm sorry. Anybody that mind. knows me, that knows you, <laughs> when I start telling the story, they just love it. But I, I just... Um, you know, it's hard to believe that this was probably... 12 years ago. But I remember we had a client meeting scheduled virtual. I mean, you and I have worked remote in a distributed environment. We were never in the same office, you know, the whole time that we worked together. So we had a, was it Zoom? Maybe it was WebEx. I don't know what we were using back in those days. Go to webinar, go to meeting. And I was waiting for you to jump on a call. And I was like calling you, sending you email, didn't hear from you, didn't hear from you. And then like an hour and a half later, you called back and said, oh, man, I'm sorry. I missed that meeting. I fell asleep. <laughs> That's a good oh shit moment. I swear I loved that. I laughed. I hope you remember that I laughed and, and I, I technically I think I was your boss at the time. And I was like, Ari, That's hilarious. Next time, maybe say you had a dentist appointment that you forgot about and forgot to let me know or something like that. Because, <laughs> you know, I could explain that to the client. I don't know if I could explain a um, an accidental nap. But, you know, as these days, you know, I mean, at least on our internal calls, I know there's a couple people on our team that are sitting in their bed as they're as they're working. I mean, it's one of the places when you have everybody at home. You know, for me, my office is in an open space and I'll go to my bedroom and work when everybody's making noise. And, you know, it's like, oh, if I have to get on my camera, I'll be sitting in bed. But I just love that story, Ari, because it was just to look at where you are now and to know that I knew you back when you were just right out of college and, you know, the fun times that we had back then. And, you know, I remember your dad, he owned an aquarium store. And then I think 
he was doing like hydro, like hydroponics. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I was really? like, is that, is that pot? Is he growing pot? What's the? <laughs> <laughs> yep. I know. A wild ride uh, for oh, my family. I love his entrepreneur. I want to meet your dad now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a character. Yeah. So yeah, I can imagine your mom, your mom sounds pretty fun too. So, so are you working on anything exciting right now? Is there anything that you're passionate about either professionally or personally that you want to share to the listeners? Yeah, I think professionally, I think what's really important to call out because I think we're going to see more and more integrations and acquisitions as time goes on. I know definitely in the healthcare space, it's like every day I wake up and hear of another um, acquisition. So exciting. I don't know. But I think it's important to call out that we are in the height of acquisition. And even though we're about 11 months into the acquisition, we're still fully going through the pains of one big company um, turning into another company. And I think that... It's really interesting to watch it from this side. I remember when I was like, this is wild. So when I was at Google, the first time is when they acquired Nest. And now I have the pleasure of working on the Nest, you know, the Nest team as part of the devices and services org of Google. And, you know, they're just finishing up some of their integration stuff now, which is like, (laughs) Years and years later. And so, I, you know, and it's so wild. I think as, as demand gen and, you know, I think at one point, I'm sure the stat has changed, but at one point they had said the average tenure of a CMO in Silicon Valley is like nine months, which so if you think about a seven year acquisition, that's like, you know, eight CMOs in the time frame <laughs> of that time. So, so yeah, it's wild, but I think it's cool to, it's exciting because I think like it gives us, I feel we're amidst 2022 planning right now, height of it. And I think it's cool to see we've got, we know that we're going to be here as is being acquired, going through all that. So knowing that we have kind of this like pause what can we do to really button up our systems and experiences and deliver best in class marketing? And that's really my goal for this year is to try and and provide a lot better experience for the for our prospects who are who are trying to at a time when people want it's kind of fun. People want Fitbits, they want connection, they want engagement, they want the online, they want to look at their heart rate. We have, you know, SPO2, they want to check their health metrics and make sure that we don't have anything like, you know, it's, it's all, it's all preventative, right? But it's cool to see, you know, as a user, and I'm an avid user myself of like, if my stats go down, I know that I might be getting a cold and like, that's big right now, you know? So yeah, just trying to figure out how to market that and getting that out into the public because that's a, pe- that's big. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. People still think we're a pedometer for sure. The amount of people who say like, oh yeah, that thing that you wear to get more steps, right? I'm like, oh, we're so much more than that. Oh, please, old news. <laughs> That's got to be an age thing. Who even uses the word pedometer, right? Like I... Yeah. <laughs> It is oh. it is so wild. Yes. So, oh, yeah. Love it. And, ha- and how about personally? I know you're uh, living the good life in San Francisco. Anything exciting personally? Traveling? Anything new? I've done a lot of traveling. Yeah, I had the pleasure. A friend of mine has a travel company in Africa. So I had the pleasure of going to Ghana this year, which was really cool. Or sorry, last year because it's New Year now. So I've been doing a lot of travels. So personally, I'm trying to 
get out there and uh, see the world and what limited COVID times you can do. Well, remote working supports that, right? You know, it's like, Laurie, we don't know where you are. You're getting your job done. We don't know where you are. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So love uh, it. Yeah. Love it. Well, who knows? We'll see. But and also doing things like this. I think it's great to I, I haven't spent a lot of time doing like personal advocacy and and I love, you know, sh plug shout out to women in revenue as a great experience and just trying to be a little bit more forefront because I think we're all going through this stuff. And I think it's really easy to feel siloed even more so when we can't go and network and things like that. So the more that you can get your voice out there and just share that we're all kind of going through these types of things and, you know, we're just trying to get by. So can we make it all a little easier on each other? So yeah, um, yeah. that's my goal. Good advice. Year too. That's good advice. <laughs> I like it. Ari, we always wrap up with one of our favorite questions and it's what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? So it can be professional, personal. What have you learned on this journey that you wish you would have told yourself 20 years ago? Got it. Thanks. Well, definitely try to set an alarm and make sure that you don't sleep through any <laughs> meetings. <laughs> is that? So That's no fun. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> great advice. <laughs> or at least white lie about it. Like we had this kid who used to work on our team and he just like, at one point he just straight up fell on video. I kid you not. He fell asleep in the meeting because we could see he was sitting with his computer <laughs> and we could see he had his, his bed headboard and he just started snoozing in the middle of a meeting. And we were like, oh, <laughs> Just turn off your camera. <laughs> turn off your camera. Say you have an appointment. Uh, you need a feature on your Fitbit watch that, um, you know, as it senses you're falling asleep during the day, you know. Zap you. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> Yep. Yep. It's so, it's so funny and common these days. It's comical, but definitely, definitely make sure. And, you know, I think the biggest thing, though, in all seriousness is to just don't be afraid to ask for help and ask for what you want. Um, I think I spent a lot of my 20s like nervous about doing the right thing. I was just heads down and wanted to work really hard. But instead, I feel like if I had asked and relied more on my mentors because I had such a great community when I was younger and thankfully still do obviously here today the uh, with Dana and Carrie it hasn't ended I still go to them uh, regularly for help but just asking for that and relying on your mentors and building like mentors as someone like although I'm an extrovert I'm shy when it comes to that stuff and asking for what I want and I think so it's easy for me to say now but looking back I wish that I would have when you're young That's and you've got all the time in the world. Right? To... <laughs> That's great advice. Yeah. It's really That's great advice. advice. I love that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. who knows, but uh, keep growing. And uh, I'm sure that I'll do the same 10 years from now and say another something else. <laughs> right. <laughs> more advice. The, the older we get, the more we realize we don't know. <laughs> yeah. That is the truth for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Well, good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ari. This was super fun. Yeah. Like the conversation. Likewise. Great belly laughs. So yes. much, so much. I, I love this podcast. I love what you're doing with it. And I hope uh, I will keep listening and I hope for more, more fun content to come. But uh, thanks so much for having me. I hope, I hope it, hope, hope it helped anything, any little bit. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Ari. Thank you. <laughs>
And that's as real as it's getting with this episode. Thanks for joining hosts Dana Harder and Carrie Baldwin with Unreal Digital Group. And this podcast,